And you don't want to burn. You don't want the lava monster to get you. Poetry night rings through. On Monday, February 4th, we said. Okay. Who lay down at evening and woke at night a stranger to himself? A country wholly unfound to himself, who wondered behind closed eyes if his fate meant winter knitting outcome underground, summer overdue, or spring's pure parable, the turning and every turning thing, fruit and flower, jar, spindle, and story. He's the one who heard the hidden dove's troubled voice and has been asking ever since, whose sleep builds and unbuilds these great rooms night and day. He's the one who knows what a gleaned thing his own voice is, something the birds discarded, trading for a future. Call him one who might find, one who night found beyond the fallen gate, where the mower never mows, with no way to go but toward the growing shadow of the earth. Call him the call embarked in search of itself, a black dew receding unto its own beginnings. Depending on who you ask, his mother or his knight, he's either the offspring of his childhood or his death. Depending on who his mother is in his dreams, beggar, thief, boatman, mist, he's either a man paused on the stairs, thinking he heard the names he used as a boy behind his parents' house during the evening games of lost and found, or else a child reading out loud to himself from his favorite book every morning. One day, he finds his own voice strange, himself no longer the names his playmates knew him by, but not yet the boundless quiet of his mother's watching from another room. Lee Young Lee, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our first poet of the evening, Chris Gusta, to the stage. Hello. Um, so I'm going to read three short poems. Um, this first one is by Tao Lin. It's called My Favorite Book of Poetry Right Now. I want every poem to be weary with itself and afraid of the world. I want all the wine breaks to be where you naturally pause. I want every last stanza to not be there. And I don't want any happy poems for variety because that is selling out. I don't care how little money you make because selling out is a figure of speech. And I don't think you should lie to me with any nature poems because you know you don't think sand is beautiful. Unless you're in a good mood, which you never are. And I don't want any acknowledgement page because you don't have any friends. I bought an expensive cheese for the party. I got a kind I didn't like, so I wouldn't eat it all before. I told her, that's the kind of man I am, with my hand on her knee, and then dropped mayonnaise onto liverwurst before her horrified eye. It's a strange snack food time of life. 
Later, I'm pretty sure she'll kiss me anyway, even though she thinks I'm kind of gross not to have to go back to her apartment. The same way, I still can't get my mind off that cheese. And this one. I am much more sun people than you are. I am also much more fog people. Your hand can cover your eyes. Getting out of bed at 1 p.m., you are left with so much to regret, like Canada. By the time these notes are assembled, the stomach pains are hopefully gone, but we will both be fat with forgiveness. Please take off your shoes before you come in. Clean the table when you leave. Pleasure is simple if you let it be. Thanks. One more hand for Chris Gusta, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Malcolm Kenyon to the stage. It's called Rio Grande del Norte. Poets use the river as a metaphor, which depends on where the river is. Desert rivers are both life and death in equal measure. Some rivers have no water. They symbolize potential. Bleak, white, winding ribbons of alkali in real life threading through grassless landscapes made desolate by overgrazing. Such kinds of rivers are more like wadis, the Arroyas twin, with latent proclivity to become a seething sea. Sometimes they take us by surprise. These depraved alter egos lose tempers, break their chains and rage to sweep away all in their way, bank to bank. Rivers rise in Mesa land, sometimes like triumphant phoenixes, or the resurrected Christ spring up at whim from nothing like desert frogs by a kind of parthenogenesis, or wither back to trickles. Sometimes rivers pretend to be a barrier, a line on maps, nighttime highways for the dispossessed, not likely to be drowned in them, whose backs are never wet. They get tangled in the wire instead, and politics, and racist lies and hatred from whites upstream who stole title to the watershed and kept the water, or at least its promise, if it ever flows again. Sometimes a river symbolizes obedience. Tame, it flows contrite between its banks, no more than an irrigation ditch, disguised by brush, overhung by tamarisk, overflown by chittering flights of blackbirds, an archery supplying an entire valley and all that grows in it, whose turbid lifeblood farmers fight for and court in Santa Fe. The Chile's armies stand against pecans, in which the rich man wins. The river is a whore, a courtesan. She sleeps with any man who pays enough to win her hand, but the river will outlast them. 
Malcolm Kenyon, ladies and gentlemen, give him a hand. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Jeff Klinsky to our stage. Swim slash run. Some days I'm too heavy to breathe. Some days I cannot die. Some days there are rocks in my shoes that I do not notice until I go swimming in a river, pond, find myself sleeping at the bottom, wake up, rush for surface, breathe for the first time that day, laugh, catch myself, run, home. Every breath, too, like rocks, like waking up somewhere unknown, like underwater, riverbed, pond, sand, reeds, shore, weeds, breathing in. And each one so beautiful, come too quick, choke, sputter, but still too heavy. Eventually just lay there, beach, breath, no longer beautiful, but each one. Finally, grow scared of water, grow scared of swimming, ponds, rivers, lakes, the ocean, scared, too heavy to float, I've noticed. Sticks to, stick to land, stick to running, running, home, the riverbed, sand in my hair and fingertips, home. Laugh, dance, inches, home. Stone, pebble, delta, outflow, then... Thank you. Jeff Klinsky, ladies and gentlemen, give him a hand. Let's keep it going. Please welcome Spike motherfucking boy to the stage. Uh, this is called Of Course I'm Trying to Fatten You Up. Like Mikage Sakurai, I would be lost without my kitchen. The garlic smell of the cutting board, fingers raw from bathing my dishes after every meal, the microwave singing sweet potato fries. I even count spices like a bachelor's black book. Cinnamon can go anytime, anywhere. She's insatiable. Clove likes to bite hard. She looks sexiest dressed in red wine and Christmas. Ginger seduced me over tea. Kissed my sweet spot with a whisper in a crowded room and stole my tongue. She's the one I call the most. I get lonely in tasteless air, without the jazz of cutting vegetables, a kettle boiling in honey in a bear-shaped bottle, lonely without crock-pot pulled pork bubbling as I measure vinegar for the coleslaw. That's why when you visit I leave trails of breadcrumbs drizzled with olive oil, write love letters in your alphabet soup, why I trace your name in my cereal bowl smile. Thank you. That's Spike motherfucking daily. Please welcome Jake Tucker to the stage. Oh, it's been a little while. I'm glad to be back here. And all right, uh, so I only have one short poem, so I'll read it slowly, like it's super meaningful. So the title is, How Wiley E. Coyote Celebrates Easter Sunday. The bird ran straight through a tunnel, painted on the front of a cliff. The painter followed in close pursuit, 
suspending disbelief, speeding up. He hit the wall, flattened. Peeled slowly off, flat on the ground, paper thin, lifeless. But this was not the end of the coyote. The scene changed. Vigor re-entered him. Up from the ground he arose, made a quick order to Acme, and was scheming again. Thanks. Jake Tucker, ladies and gentlemen, right there. Please welcome Ryan Johnson to the stage. Hello. It's been so long. Easy drinking poems. One. A jug of orange juice sat on that bookshelf near the window above the cars for over a week. But, you know, the vodka was gone, so whatever. About wasting, I mean. Oh, imagine that as a black-and-white photograph. Two. The ferns and rhododendrons were beautiful. Cops found wine in plastic cups, and I lost one friend to the darkness of manicured gardens. One friend stuttered, and one friend was irresponsible with his underage girlfriend. The night was warm. 3. Propped against fences, knives on the deck, cigarettes under the sofa, pissing in the driveway, snakes in the shoes, groping neighbors of the one you love. 4. I found lawn chair while I was moving out two years later. There was old dust, but this whole time I had been assuming theft. Sons of bitches. Did they not know of the times we had? Sitting in each other, drinking rail under the fireworks and quieter things? 5. Thought I saw you walking past bank last call. Those shoulders glowing like new fish translucerating. The path rolled witch about with your footsteps in book-light perfume all that one happening grew tendril all fog and husk gathering cognatory. I read in neon quiet twenty-seven degrees and time glowing over your head a thing that which I, yes, I vomit on the sidewalk and you are the shadow of tree and car. 6. The ways they search for you is a wandering claw. 7. The nightstand pushed airless against boards that hold bed together. With the drawer, I don't know what's inside. That red wine is there. Someone used green paint once on pieces of lumber. The ends of lumber only. Lumber later turned to boards with sheets draped over. Red wine in the glass discovered during a weekend afternoon. Sheets folded over loose and warm. while well, I think warm over hardwood floors with books and clothes and nightstands. Nightstands holding up old wine, three days old wine, in glass and wood, everywhere else with table legs and sheets. Communion is a pale and withered lung. Thanks. That is Ryan Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. I really dislike this microphone stand. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the mighty Mike McGee to our stage. I love you. 
one. I've heard a lot of poems that begin with the number one, then continue in a numbered sequence. I wonder if there's a name for poems such as these. Two. My intrigue has set me to write at least one poem in this numbered structure. Three. I feel I should find out more about this numbered structure. Four. I asked my friend Dave K. if he knows the name of this sort of sequenced poetry. Five. He does not. Six, I send a text message to Victor Infante, a friend and most notable culprit of this style of poetry. He responds with, I don't know offhand, but I will research it when I get home. Seven, I assume he is driving. I worry about his ability to operate a vehicle safely while sending me a text message. Eight, I miss his phone call 20 minutes later. I call him back without listening to his voicemail. He explains that there is some contention in the literary world as to the true name of this style of poetry, but all agree that the sections between the numbers are cantos. Nine. This is a canto. Ten. So is this. Eleven. Ezra Pound is notable for writing a long love poem consisting of 120 cantos. Twelve, that feels like way too many cantos. Thirteen, this style of poetry often feels like an easy way to tie together a bunch of unrelated topics. Fourteen, I am not as interested in this style of poetry anymore. I would rather my poetry had a consistent theme. It would be too easy to veer away from the initial concept of the poem, to maintain the original content, yet allow it to grow beyond the first verse, to express myself while seeking resolve, solution, and or catharsis. Fifteen, it saddens me when pet owners put sweaters and hats on their pets. <laughs> Sixteen, I still cannot break dance. Seventeen, I should never write one of these poems again since I don't know how to end it. Eighteen, weird cursing for no reason is hilarious and not a good way to end a poem, especially when it ends awkwardly and abruptly. Nineteen, shit lips and short boners. <laughs> That's Mike McGee, right over there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Ryler Dustin to the stage. Ryler Dustin. To our stage. Ryler Dustin. Ladies and... Alright. Alright. <laughs> it is called... My heart is like two doves. I do not even like doves. They are somewhat filthy animals. But my heart is like them all the same. My heart is like a can of sardines that I will force myself to taste only because it is my heart. This reeking corpse flower of a heart. This library buried in a mudslide. I used a paperclip to stick her name in me like a pacemaker but I cannot hear it anymore. My heart is filled with two landmines. My heart is jealous. 
It has read the works of medieval scholars. Now it knows the liver is the real seat of love. My heart swims in the fish tank of my liver. My heart does push-ups on its knuckles. If I sleep on my chest, I wake up exhausted. My heart keeps irregular time. I think the pacemaker was the second dove. Anyway, the doves are now moles because of the mudslide. I have planted plants over the mud. The moles are fucking with my plants. Petals scatter like confetti. I have become a cemetery for childhood. Walking down the street, I wish I were driving a bulldozer. This is it, this moving yellow fortress of my heart, uprooting trees outside the record store. That was Ryler Dustin reading poem. Mm. Not bad poem, Ryler Dustin. Mm-hmm. Uh. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the final poet of the evening, the right Reverend Robert Lashley, to our stage. This poem is called Before Uncle Mo's Special Guest Had to Leave. Through a crack is never the best place to see her. Through a crack, their window is never a mirror for the basement's blues or deep. Its shades of azure and iris keep their time by the basement door. The clothes he fitted her are a collage on bedsheets and linens. A collage of a black and whites on jazz-jointed weekends that lie loosely upon the tiles. That lie loosely over his million bottles and unfinished projects on the floor. Stanzas. Jazz songs. A him and her grandson's first Sunday suit that in a fight he tore. The buttons in the shirt her husband wore when she learned of the secretary in Denver. The half-smoked reefer that made her talk of the sea when he caressed the gray of her hair. When he fastens her garter belt, she speaks of their Packard and the air in another life. Thank you very much. That is Robert Lashley, ladies and gentlemen, and that was our show. Yeah. Let's have a hand for all the poets who performed for you this evening. They all get up here. I'm clearly not asleep. I'm clearly not asleep. I'm clearly not asleep. What a bitches. What a bitches. What a bitches. We want to be fancy.
Take work. This mic is a little hot.